Well, I want to start off by saying thank you to Pastor White for allowing us to come. Um, I want to just uh, briefly uh, clarify some things about uh, the video that you saw this morning, if you were in the morning service. Um, there's obviously some updates that need to be done. There were, uh, it was made uh, close to four years ago, and much as is the same in uh, everybody's life here, a lot of things have changed in the last four years. Uh, one of the first things that you probably notice is when our family picture came up, there was only three of us. There's now five of us. Um, one of the major things that's changed is the population of Mozambique. At the time the video was made, it was just under 24 million people. As of today, it's over 32 million people. And I don't know if you caught the statistic this morning that talked about how two-thirds of the entire population are under the age of 24. We believe that's why God has called us to this country at this time, is to reach this next generation with the gospel. Because I personally believe that if you can reach people when they're young with the gospel, that as they grow up and they grow in Christ, that that can make all the difference in that country. Because as they become adults, go out into their community, start working jobs, and who knows, even might even go into politics, that they can reach out into places, have an an impact, excuse me, Um, for Christ in their life. And so we believe that's one of the reasons God has called us to the country. Now, somebody uh, asked me why I referred to Africa as the dark continent. Now, the reason that I referred to that is not because of past historical references, but I was referencing that because of the spiritual darkness of the continent. Because Africa is a very spiritual dark place. And yes, we live in a spiritual dark world, but in Mozambique, um, there are... There are over 70,000 witch doctors that are registered with the government. Witch doctors have very much influence throughout the country, so much so that they have put a price out on the head of people that are born with albinism. If you bring the body of an albino person to one of these witch doctors, they will pay you upwards of 300,000 U.S. dollars. They will then take that person's body and they will use it in their trinkets and their potions and in their lucky charms. It is a place that it doesn't even stop there. It's a place where the witch doctors even have influence in the churches that are established there. And I'm not talking about the Catholic Church or the Pentecostal Church. I'm talking about ones that would even claim the name Baptist on their church. I remember going to a church that had the name Baptist on it. It was way out in the bush. And we get there and they invited us to come up on stage And as we were going up there, we were shaking hands, and I was trying to figure out who the pastor was. Well, the men that were on stage were all the deacons. We finally asked, well, where's the pastor? They said, he's on the back row. He's on suspension. We said, why is the pastor on suspension? And they said, we had the witch doctor come down to his house, and he found a trinket from another witch doctor, so he's on suspension. That is the reality of the reach that the witch doctors, the, the, the people that are under the influence of Satan have in that country. And that is the reason why I chose to use the words the dark continent is because we pray that God would allow us to take the light of the gospel and to punch a hole in that darkness and let the light of Christ shed throughout that country and that he might be able to do a great work there. I hope that uh, better clarifies a few things. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. We'll uh, begin in verse 1, but before I begin reading, I'm going to open in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you for this opportunity that we have to open your word. I pray that you would meet with us now, that you would use me 
that you would fill me, that you would speak through me to your people. I pray that they might see you and that they might have open hearts and open ears to hear from you. And I pray that you would just be with us now when I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ships. Now, aren't you glad that we have the whole word of God? Aren't you glad that God gave us his word and, and, and we can better understand him? We can, under, we can better understand his time here on earth because he gave us his word. Could you imagine if... The Gospel of Luke started here in chapter 5. If we didn't have the first four chapters, starting off this story would seem an interesting story. You pick up and, and, and Christ is just walking along the seashore and he gets in somebody's boat and starts giving them commands. It'd be like if you were pulling out of church and you stopped at the stoplight waiting for your light to change and somebody comes and gets in your car and starts telling you where you're going to go it would be a little confusing to a lot of us. But as I was saying, it's, 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 there's a reason God gave us the whole story. Because Christ didn't just go and get in some stranger's boat. If you look back in chapter 4 and verse 38, just right above chapter 5, it says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto him. You say, Brother Taylor, what, what are you trying to get at? Why are, why are you doing all this? Tonight we're going to be looking at when Christ called the disciples to come follow him. And the first thing that needs to be established is that if you are ever going to be used by God in your life, you have to know God first. You have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to be saved and bought by the blood of Christ. Because as much as you might want to be used by God, if you don't have that relationship with him, he will never use you. And that's what I'm trying to establish right here. Christ didn't just go get in Peter's boat without knowing him. He had met him prior. He, they, they had that relationship. So when Christ came along the seashore and got in the boat and said, Peter, why don't you, why don't you uh, let me use your boat and push out a little bit from the land? Peter didn't say, oh, you're a stranger. I don't know you. And as we pick back up in verse 4, it says, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now, because Peter was willing to be used by Christ, because Peter was willing to allow Christ to use his possessions and his belongings, we're going to see here in a few minutes that Christ is going to bless Peter. But he's not just going to bless him. He's going to bless him beyond what Peter has ever seen before in his life. Peter was a, a, a career fisherman. That's, that's all he had known for his life. I, I imagine from the time that he was a young boy that he could go out on the lake and his parents not have to worry about whether he was going to fall over or whether he was going to mess the nets up, that he'd been fishing for a very long time. And Christ is getting ready to show Peter something he had never seen in all the years that he had been out on the lake fishing. Verse 5, it says, when, And Simon answering said unto him, Master... We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, 
at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes. Well, hey, that's, that's not, you know, a big deal. Isn't that what you're supposed to do when you fish? You, you're supposed to get a lot of fish. The verse didn't end. It says, and their net break. Well, maybe they just had a bad net. It's still not over. Verse 7, it says, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Now, I want you to think about the size of these boats. These weren't just little canoes. Each one of these boats had to be big enough to hold possibly at least five full-grown men and all of the, the, the nets and everything else that goes along with fishing. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, we know that James and John, their partners that they beckoned to in, in chapter 7, they were partners in that boat, and Peter and Andrew were partners in this boat. We know James and John had Zebedee, their father, with them. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 20, it says that they had hired servants, plural. So they at least had two other men in the boat with them. That's at least four to five men. These boats weren't tiny little boats. And they catch so many fish that both of these boats are so full that they are at the point of sinking. That's how many fish there were. But I also want to point something else out to you. Peter actually held back part of the blessing of God. You say, well, what do you mean? Let's look back in verse 4. At the end of that verse, it says, Launch out into the deep and let down your, what's the next word? Nets. Is that singular or is it plural? It's plural. We go on, verse 5, it says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. Singular. Peter only put out one net, and Jesus said, put out the nets. Imagine how many more fish that would have been in those nets, that would have been, they would have been trying to put in those boats, if Peter would have fully trusted and obeyed Christ in this situation. But I think as many times it is in the Christian life, we, we might get to a point where we're a little tired, we're a little worn down. And God asks something of us, and, and we know it's our Christian duty to do it, so we only kind of do it part of the way. Well, isn't that good enough? And we never realize that because we didn't fully obey, because we didn't fully give it our all, that we partially hold back some of the blessings of God on our life. Now, the other thing that I see in these portion of verses that we read through here is that when God is blessing you in your life, He wants you to call unto your fellow partners. You say, well, how does that apply to me? Look around you tonight. The people that are your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ here at Grace Baptist Church in Surrey, British Columbia are your fellow brothers and sisters. You are partners in the work of the Lord here trying to reach this city for Christ. Could you imagine if Peter and Andrew wouldn't have said, hey, James and John, come on, look at all these fish we got. No, we're going to keep these for ourselves. That's the wonderful thing about God's blessings is that we can share them. 
Because Peter and Andrew beckoned unto their partners, the blessing of God then was allowed to be poured out on James and John as well. So when you're, when you're serving the Lord here and you see God doing great things, you're, you're out door knocking, you're out doing the fire brigade, you're seeing souls saved, or maybe you're out on the bus route working, and you stop and say, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Call him up and say, hey, God is doing some incredible things at church. It'd be great to see you back here. Or maybe it's not that they haven't been gone. It's just they're not yet involved in ministry. God wants you to beckon unto him and say, hey, why don't you come out with me? You know, we can go door knocking. You don't have to talk. You can just walk with me and, and I'll do the talking. God wants you to beckon unto your fellow partners in the work of the Lord to come on out. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draw of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now, there are often times in our life where we need to be as Peter and we need to fall down before God and tell him and realize how we don't deserve the blessings of God. It is only through his mercy and through his grace that we are where we are today. It's not by anything that I have done. It's not by anything that you have done. It's only because of God. And that's when we need to go before Him and we need to thank Him for that fact that even though we sinners, that even though as it is stated through the Scripture that once we were aliens afar off from God and that now we are brought nigh by the blood of Christ, that it is only through Him that we are where we are. We come to the portion at the end of verse 10 where Jesus said unto him, Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 puts it this way. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now if I can just say something, there's no contradiction between the Gospels. You say, well, it's different wording. It's from a different perspective. You have Luke writing one and you have Matthew writing another. There's no contradiction in God's word. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're at this point in Peter and Andrew and James and John's life where Christ is saying, hey, leave all of this, leave the fish, leave the boats, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, that must have been an interesting proposition. As a fisherman, you hear somebody tell you, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, and I'm sure possibly the first thing that comes into their mind is they're going to take nets and go throw them over people. I mean, that's what they've been doing their whole life. But they also had to stop and realize a few things. And we're going to look at those. If you look over in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22, this is Matthew's account of the call of the disciples. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22. It says there, And they immediately left the ship. Now, that ship represented their life. Because each and every day they woke up every morning, 
They got ready for their day. They went to their ship and they started fishing. That was the life of a fisherman. And when Christ said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they had to be willing to give up that life that they knew for a life of the unknown. Christ didn't come to them and say, hey, if you, if you leave all this and you follow me, you'll get a six-figure income, you'll get a company car, you'll get a great retirement. No, in fact, we know from the, the Word of God that at one point when a young man comes to Christ and said, I would follow thee, he basically asked him, are you sure? Because the sparrows have their nests and the foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. They had to stop and they had to realize that when they followed Christ, they were giving up the life that they know. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that's like this, but I know some people that are very particular about their day. They have to be up by a certain time. They have to have gotten ready for their day at a certain time, had their cup of coffee at a certain time. They have to be out the door going to work at a certain time. And if any of that process is messed up, you might as well write the day off, put it in the books, we'll start again tomorrow. I don't know if any of the disciples were like that, but you have a very vast, probably different kinds of lifestyle among the 12 disciples. And when Christ came to them and said, follow me, they had to be willing to give up that life that they knew. The security and the fact that they knew when they woke up the next day that they were going to go fishing. The next thing that we see that they had to be willing to give up is if you look back in verse 20 of that same chapter in Matthew chapter 4, it says, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now the nets represent their financial income. That's what they used to catch the fish so that then they could then take those fish and go sell them for money. When they followed Christ, as I said, he didn't offer them some kind of, you know, great job that was going to be paying them all kinds of money. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, the very next chapter, the Sermon on the Mount, as you're going through it into chapter 6, Christ tells them, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or wherewithal ye shall be clothed. And he goes on and tells them how the heavenly Father taketh care of the sparrows and feedeth them, and how he taketh care of the lilies of the field and he clotheth them. Because I almost imagine he knew that there was a little bit of apprehension in the back of their minds of, well, I don't have a job anymore. Where's the money coming from? The disciples, when they decided they were going to have to follow, or that they were going to follow Christ, excuse me, they had to be willing to give up financial security. If you look back in verse 22, we didn't read the whole verse. It says, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. You know, sometimes to serve God with your life, it requires you leaving family behind. Now, there are several ways that this can happen. For me, for even the tailors back here, it's a part of working in the ministry. God calls you somewhere and you go to a place where you don't have family. There's that separation. And for most people who are in the ministry, if your parents are Christians, they don't have a problem with the fact that you are leaving to go serve the Lord. But then again, I know other people who their family aren't Christians, and they start ridiculing them. What? You're, you're, you're doing what? 
God's not going to use you. And then that person allows what those people are saying to discourage them. And then they, they get to a point where they say, well, I guess they're right. I, I can't serve the Lord with my life. And it's at that point that you need to separate yourself from that family. Because if you never do, you'll never serve God with your life like you are supposed to. If you look over in Mark chapter 1 and verse 20, I already made reference to this verse over here. Mark chapter 1 and verse 20 says there, And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Sometimes family isn't an issue, but it's that friend that you have. It's that friend that maybe you've known for a long time or maybe you've become close with. That every time you take a step forward for God, that friend ends up dragging you two steps back. And it's at that point that you need to separate yourself from that friend or once again, as it's already been stated, you're not going to be able to serve God. You're not going to give God your all because that person is constantly going to be holding you back. If you look back in our main, where we started, Luke chapter 5 and verse 11. Luke chapter 5 and verse 11, it says there, And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. When it comes to serving God with your life, when it comes to surrendering to God, don't hold things back. Give Him your all. Bring your all to God and say, take me, use me as you see fit. So oftentimes, and this could be said of me in the past as well, you take something and you hold on to it and you say, you can have that over there, God, but this is mine. Don't touch this. And it's not until you take your all to God and give it to Him that He then can take your life and use you as he sees fit. You see, each one of these areas of their life, they had to think about, were they willing to give these things up to follow Christ? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, okay, I understand what you're saying, but if I give up certain things in my life, if I give my all to God, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? You wouldn't be the first person to ask that question. If you look over in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, in verse 27, it says, Then Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter himself asked this exact same question. Hey, Jesus, remember we forsook all and we followed you. What do we get out of it? What's in it for us? Verse 28, Jesus says, and, it's, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall, shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Christ here is saying that when you're willing to give your all to God, that he's willing to bless you. He's willing to bless you a hundredfold. You say, does that mean that, that if I surrender my all to God, that my paycheck is going to increase 
a hundredfold? Probably not. Is it possible? Yes, God could do, because God can do whatever he wants. But what this is referring to, in my opinion, is the fact that God is willing to spiritually bless you when you are willing to give your all to God. I've seen it personally in my own family. My father was raised not far from here, down in Seattle, Washington. Raised by a single mother a majority of his life, who the only kind of religion she ever knew was Mormonism. My father, that's the only religion he knew. If they did go to church, as they'd go to the Mormon, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that's what he knew growing up. He joined the military and he was sent overseas. And he had a co-worker and a roommate that kept on witnessing to him. Kept on inviting him to come to church. And he finally said, okay, okay, I'll go. Kind of one of those things of I'll go so they'll stop bugging me. He went and he ended up getting saved. And because he got saved, he was able to lead my mom to the Lord. And he began reading the Bible and, and getting in God's Word, and he started seeing it through God's Word, how a Christian should live their life. So he forsook something over here, and he forsook something over here, and, and, and gave up this and gave up that. And because he was willing to do that, because I saw my dad throughout his life give his all to God and everything that he did, he now has boys that are in the ministry, a pastor, an assistant pastor, a son that's on his way to the mission field, and, and two other boys that faithfully serve the Lord in their home church. You say, well, how is that a blessing? I don't know about you, but I agree with James when he said he has no greater joy than to see that his children walk in truth. Because the one thing that is the greatest is when your children follow the Lord after you and their children follow the Lord after them and generation after generation follows God and serves him. You say, okay, well, I understand what you're saying. Can I say this? That if you're willing to serve God with your whole life, if you're willing to serve God with your all, and can I say this? It doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean that you have to be a staff member or a missionary. You can serve God with your whole life and your, 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 your basic everyday life, working a job or whatever that may be. It's a matter of surrender. But let me tell you that a storm is coming. Because it's easy serving God when everything's going great, but when the storms come in your life, are you still going to continue to serve God? Are you still going to follow him? In Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, we see from there to the end of the chapter, the disciples, Jesus says to them, let's go on to the other side. They get on the boat. It says that little boats come after them. And they start to go to the other side. And as they get out into the middle of the lake, a storm comes. At first, they must have thought that they could handle the storm because it gets to a point where it's so bad that they go crying to Jesus, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he asked them, Why is it that you're so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
he gets up and he calms the storm. The one thing that the disciples didn't realize at that moment is that if they would have decided we can't get through this storm and they would have gone back to the other side, there's a possibility that Mark chapter 5 wouldn't have happened. Mark chapter 5 tells the story of the maniac of Gadara and how they come to the other side and he comes to Jesus and this man's life who was horrible beyond anything that we would want to experience, Christ heals this man, changes his life. You see, that man was relying on the disciples to get to the other side. But it wasn't even just him. When Christ goes to leave to, to go back to the other side, This man wants to follow Christ, but Christ tells him to stay and tell his friends and family what great things God has done in his life. And when Christ comes back to that side of the shore again, they're coming out by the multitudes to see what Christ can do in their lives because that man obeyed what God told him to do and went and told everybody how Christ changed his life. But then there's even more. Because if you look there in Mark chapter 4, and I believe it's about uh, verse 37, it says that there were little ships with them. You see, the people that were in the other ships around them that were following the boat that Jesus was in, they were relying on them to get through that storm as well. And did you know that you here tonight have people relying on you to get through a storm in your life? That you here tonight have people relying on you to stay faithful to Christ? Parents, your children are relying on you. Grandparents, your grandchildren are relying on you. Those people, those kids are the ones that are affected the most by adults that decide, I can't make it and don't turn to God. You say, well, what if I didn't make it through the storm at one point? What if I did turn back? I didn't turn to God like I should have. One last place. We'll look over in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We find the disciples in a position where they had seen the man that they had followed for the last three years of their life, taken, illegally tried, executed, buried. Now, yes, they saw him raised from the dead. You look back in, verse, in chapter 20 and he appears to them and then vanishes out of the room. And I don't know if they thought that that was it, that he wasn't coming back. But in chapter 21, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship, and immediately, excuse me, into a ship immediately, and that night they caught so many fish they became career fishermen. Is that what it says? No. It says, in that night they caught nothing. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. 
Doesn't this sound a little familiar? Doesn't it sound like we're right back in Luke chapter 5? You know, in, in, in chapter, excuse me, verse 4, it says, When the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was him. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? To me, it's almost like he's calling to them. How's that old life working out? Because he had called them out of being fishermen. He told them from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. And they went back to the life that he called them out of. Peter knew he was wrong. You can read down through the rest of the verses John realizes this Jesus and tells Peter, and Peter girds his fisher's coat to him, casts himself into the sea because he was naked. Then we have the great back and forth at the end of chapter 21. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? You know that I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. And it goes three times. You say, what is the point of your message tonight? Surrender. Give your all to God. Because I want you to realize something right now. That if Peter in Luke chapter 5 would not have given his all to Christ then, he would have never stood in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost and said, men and brethren, listen to me. And seen 5,000 souls be saved that day. It starts at the point of surrender. If you don't know Christ tonight, the only way God is ever going to use you is by having a relationship with him through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Where is your life tonight? Are you at the point where you're on the seashore and God's wanting to use your life? Are you at the point where you're in the shallows and God says, launch out into the deep? Are you at the point where God's blessing you, beckon unto your partners? Maybe you're at the point of surrender. Surrender your all to God. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm. Turn to God. He can get you through it. Maybe you didn't make it through a storm. Christ is always standing there waiting for you to come back to him. Tonight, I want us to think about the fact that God is still asking for us to surrender to him. Let's make sure that we give him our all. Pastor.